People have been wondering about where the word of the Lord is in this season that we've been in. I think it's been coming out in songs. I'm hearing songs. I think Waymaker was a prophetic word on the front end of what we've gone through. Um, I love the idea that he's in the mountains and in the valleys and moving upon us. Wonderful to see. Taught last Sunday about the reaction that people have when they find out that you can't really trust people, can't trust uh, sometimes our, our government, can't trust the, our scientists, our scientific community. So many mixed messages, so many different things. And, and uh, I think there, we'll see a reaction in the days ahead. But we can react two ways. This was my point last Sunday. We can react two ways. We can become lawless, where we don't let anyone have any say in our lives. <clears throat> where we react in a negative way, where we're saying, I'm going to do my own thing. No one's going to tell me what to do. And, and you'll see that. That's, that. I see that every day in the news. I see that reaction. But for us, our reaction can't be to go that way. We have to become more kingdom-minded and more kingdom Centric, there's a new word, come out this this thing. We have to be more kingdom-minded. But as I said that, and I teach that, and I realize it's such a Christian buzzword that not everybody even knows what that means, what it is to be kingdom-minded or kingdom-oriented, kingdom-thinking. So I thought I'd take a few minutes today and have a conversation about how I understand the kingdom and share with you how God made it real to me, how he changed my mind. But uh, the more we taste, we look for a political savior, we would just become disillusioned. We become disillusioned with the powers that be, when, especially in a crisis when they make decisions that don't make sense or when they make policy that uh, doesn't really help, doesn't really solve anything. This is something that, that helped me. I, I found out there are 66 words in the Lord's Prayer. And there's 179 words in the Ten Commandments. There's 286 words in the Gettysburg Address. There's 1,300 words in the Declaration of Independence. But there's 26,911 words in the government regulation of the sale of cabbage. So it shows that there's a big difference between the way God thinks and runs his kingdom compared to the way man does it. There's a huge gap, and it's always been there. It's, it's not an American thing. It's in every country. It's in every culture. It's in every part of history. It's a fact of life. The more disillusioned you become with, with the rule of men, the more enamored you should become with the kingdom of God, how matchless it is, how wonderful it is, how economic it is, how sane it is, how safe it is, how practical it is. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 17. I'm sorry. Yes, Luke chapter 17. Kingdom of God is an, is an old idea, something that 
the prophets started prophesying it was going to happen. And when John the Baptist came, the first thing he started to proclaim was the kingdom of God is at hand. And that expression at hand means now, not someday. It's, it's within reach. It's, it's this close. It's, it's within our grasp. And the kingdom has always been in the perpetual present uh, future tense. Always it's going to come. It's going to come. So it must have been electric for them to hear that the kingdom of God is now. It's within reach. But when they, when Jeremiah, when John the Baptist proclaimed that to his generation, they heard something different than what you hear when you hear about the kingdom of God. And then Jesus came right after John, and he started proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he started teaching about the kingdom of God. He started talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, he, he had a concept that was very, very powerful. Now, watch this. This is uh, Luke chapter 17. So this is partway through his ministry. In verse 20, it says, Now, uh, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, now, he'd been preaching that it's, it's here. And they're, they're still thinking it's coming because they had an expectation. They had a vision. They had an understanding of what the kingdom of God would look like. And I think we need to explore what they had in mind. I think we need to look at that today. But then Jesus does something masterful. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it's not going to be manifest in a way you could say that place is the kingdom of God. That boundary, that geographic location. And Jesus, for the first time, really shifts it into the unseen in a powerful way. He says, nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. Now, he just made a major proclamation, a major shift, <clears throat> something that no one, excuse me, no one was expecting. <clears throat> so let's take some time, a few minutes this morning, to try to establish for you what was in the Jewish mind when they heard about the, 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 the kingdom of God. And here's how the Lord first gave me a, a vision or an understanding of the kingdom of God that became practical, that started impacting my everyday life. <clears throat> it started with a National Geographic magazine. There was a uh, rare two-part story that was in one edition, then the next month the second part was in the second edition. They don't normally do that, but it was on the, on the life of Marco Polo. And I remember hearing about Marco Polo when I was a kid, but he was some guy back in, you know, back in history that I didn't really relate to, so I didn't really capture it. But the story was in, in National Geographic uh, was of a group of people who were going to follow the footsteps of Marco Polo on his journey from, from Venice to Asia because he wrote about it in a diary. He kept a journal, and he wrote about what he experienced all the way along the way. And so this group of uh, <coughs> National Geographic people were going to follow his footsteps to find out whether what he wrote was true, whether it could be proven or not, because it was so amazing. What he wrote was so amazing that most people didn't believe. They thought he made it up. And uh, so they actually went in his footsteps and could verify that it was true, that it actually happened, that it was a, a legitimate diary. So here's the part that captured my attention. Marco Polo and his uncles. Marco Polo's like 15 years old. 
perfect time for our world trip. And he's going to go with his uncles and his dad, who are merchants. And they're on a trading expedition from Venice. They're traders, they're merchants, the merchants of Venice. They're merchants. And they're going to go to Asia, where there's untold jewels and gems and uh, money to be made in trading. And they load up their camels, and they're going to be gone for years. And uh, they're going to come back incredibly wealthy. But on the journey, what, what captured my interest is on the journey, they went from kingdom to kingdom, country to country, culture to culture. And they described each place as they entered in as foreigners, as, as pilgrims, as strangers. And they're on this journey with their camels loaded with all their camping gear, <clears throat> all their trading supplies, the things that they produce in Venice that they're going to trade in Asia. And they're so afraid at every turn, every, every city they come into, they're, they're afraid of being robbed. So they would sew their gems and their trade articles into their clothing, into the hem of their coats, and stuff it under their camels and in a certain way that bandits couldn't find it. And, and uh, they were so uh, aware that because they're strangers, every city that they went into, that they would be gouged for uh, fodder for their camels and rooms for them to sleep in. And because they're strangers, they could, you know, uh, jack the price up 10 times the amount because they're strangers. And they just described this whole journey of moving from one kingdom to another. And with that in mind, I, I kind of, I've traveled and I, I've been robbed by policemen. I've had, uh, I tried to go to a hotel and get a room or try to buy, one time I lost my luggage and, or broke and I needed to replace it. And so when I went to buy some luggage that was hanging in a tree, uh, they jacked the price up 10, 10 times the amount. The, the scales differed because of the color of my skin and the fact that I, I didn't speak their language. And they could take advantage of my ignorance and managing money. And so uh, when, when my translator saw what happened, he, he said, don't buy it. Come on over here. And he showed me where to stand. And he said, now, which bag do you want? And I pointed to the up in the tree which bag I wanted. He went in and he negotiated. He got it for nothing. Got it for, you know, the average normal price. And I'd experienced a number of those things. I remember one time in a railway station in Calcutta, this guy was traveling through and he had his backpack on and he was wide-eyed, he was ghostly looking, he was, you could tell he'd been shocked. And he's traveling alone in India with his backpack and, and as when I saw him walking toward me, his eyes were this wide and he was like totally paranoid of someone hurting him or taking advantage of him or threatening him or stealing his stuff. And he had the biggest knife you could imagine stuck right in the front of his belt so everyone could see, don't mess with me. And I remember thinking, you know, you travel from place to place and you don't know what you're going to run into. You could be in the wrong part of town. You could meet the wrong people in, in the night, in the dark. You get to the marketplace. Everyone's trying to pick your pocket. Everyone's trying, trying to get into your purse. Everyone's trying to get in your suitcase. And I could just, very real, I could picture Marco Polo's group going from place to place. They'd go through one place. They'd be able to learn by the time they got through it how to navigate that. Then they get to another place, and it's a whole other set of of threats, uh, now there's a th uh, whole other sets of, of things they have to learn to navigate in order to come out with their stuff, never to you know, go through it. 
and I had done enough of that. I traveled across India by train, and I had done a number of things that it was very real to me. I could see it. But then I got thinking, somehow I paired that idea with, with what God laid down on the children of Israel. He says, all the nations around you, they will do this, but you can't. They'll just go to the bathroom anywhere, and they do, but you can't. He said, if you litter, I won't walk among you. And he said, you need to bathe, and you need to wash your clothes. And he would say things like, all these laws of hygiene, and laws how to stop a plague, that when a plague would be coming through, he says, this is how you stop a plague. This is my rules. And he's doing this as a king, and he's saying, you're a unique people. You're, you're a precious people. Among all the people of the earth, there's no one like you. He says, when strangers come into your territory, I want you to give to them. Not exploit their ignorance, not take advantage of their fact that they're strangers. He said, now, when they come to your marketplace, you have to use the same scales for foreigners as you use for locals. Well, that's unheard of. Every place I go, uh, they just jack the price up. Uh, we've gotten, it just happened just recently, we went in a hotel, the, my, my translator, my partners, they would go in and negotiate the price for the room, and then I would, I would wait, and then after everything was said and done, they'd bring me in, and you could see the, the guy behind the counter is livid because it should have been a much higher price because of this foreigner. I get a kick out of it. God says, you're a peculiar people. In all the earth, there's no one like you. And he describes how they're to serve um, foreigners with hospitality. When they come into you, fight over who's going to water their camels and who's going to provide food and fight over who's going to bring them into your house and give them your best food. So different from any other nation who's trying to gouge you. And you can't eat their food because you'll get sick. You can't eat their food because it's, it, there's, there's, uh, it's unhealthy. And so I, it, I just put those two thoughts together and I could picture people traversing, you know, going on a trip from one kingdom and they navigate that kingdom and this kingdom, this kingdom, and all of a sudden they cross into the border of the kingdom of God where God's in charge, where his word reigns, where his laws are subscribed by every young people. He said, you know, I picture someone coming in and said, look how the young people treat each other and look how they treat the older people and look how, look how diligent they are and how bright they look and they all read and they all write. They all, they all work hard. They, every house has been swept in front and the houses are not just tidy and, and, and square, but they're beautified. There's vines growing, fruitful vines by the side of the house. And, and not only that, every, every place is so mean. Everyone just works until you die, just work until you collapse. You're just a means, you're a cog in the wheel. And then all of a sudden they come into the border of the children of Israel where they have every Saturday off. Even the, even the livestock is rested. No other nation had done this. So you can imagine moving from one dark, dirty, demon-infested, uh, uh, idols on every corner. They're sacrificing their babies, babies to idols. People are mean. People are, are desperate. People are angry. People are violent. They, they want to they rape you. 
and you move from that sense of insecurity, and you can feel it in the air, and you move from that, and all of a sudden you cross into the border of the kingdom of God where they'll lay down their life to protect you, and they honor their women, and they don't sell their young people. They don't sell their daughters, and, and it's a whole different life. It's so bright. It'd be, like, it'd be like traveling across India where you go in this state, this state, this state, but this state is Switzerland. Bright and clean and orderly and functioning and, 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 and decent. And then you move out of that border and back into darkness again and back into corruption and every policeman's trying to rob from you and every official takes the bribe and you can't go ahead unless you pay the bribe. And, and Marco Polo, when they were going, they just had to pay the bribe everywhere they went for their own safety. It's a powerful lesson. Can you imagine coming into the kingdom of God and everyone, they won't take a bribe because their king forbids it. They said, your king, your, your, king, your king has laws that we've never heard before. No nation on earth has laws like yours that dignify the people. Tell me about your king. They said, well, he's invisible. We've, we've never seen him. Why do you know, how do you know this is for real? Well, he's given us prophets. He has people who speak on his behalf. And, and they would try to describe their king and how their kingdom, the kingdom of God, kingdom is two words, king, dom is dominion or dominus or domain. It's where he reigns, where he, where he operates. And they move into, they move from one kingdom to the next and all of a sudden they come into the kingdom of God and it's like the lights got turned on. And there's joy because several times a year, every few months, there's seven days of just rejoicing and feasting and sacrifice and, and, and people dancing and worshiping the Lord, stopping the labor in their fields just to gather unto the Lord to worship him. And no other nation on earth does this. Every time I've ever seen at the festivals, it's just a drunken, violent ball. You can feel the violence in the air. You come in the, the kingdom of God and you feel the glory of the Lord. You feel, everything feels bright and beautiful. And when you see the religious people, they look, they look uh, violent, they look menacing, they look through you, they look to see what they can get from you. And you walk into the kingdom of God and you see the Levites and they're, and they're like Obed-Edom who are just covered with the glory of the Lord and they just worship the Lord. They invite you to come and to partake of the of the feast that's been prepared for their God. I mean, it's just a, it's night and day. That's the kingdom of God in, in reality. Then what happened is the, the people said, we don't want you to be king anymore. We want a man to be king, just like all the other nations around us. And God spoke to Samuel and said, they're not, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And for the next number of years, Judah had 20 kings. Israel had 18 kings or 19 kings, and all of them were wicked. All of them led the people away from God. Of all the kings of Judah, there were only eight that were any good at all. Only one that was wholeheartedly 
living for the Lord. It's a, a major shift. So God's no longer the king. He lets men do what they want because he's so meek. He just let them, let them do, except for one young guy who said, I want you to be the king. I want you to tell me where to go. I want you to tell me how to fight this battle. I want you to go ahead of us. I want you to, to rule and reign through me. I, I, he submitted his rule and reign so that God could reign through him. And God prospered him. The boundaries of the kingdom got bigger. They were enlarged for the only time in history. And after he was done and his son was done, the kingdom was divided in two, it was torn, there was a, a major civil war, a major split, where the children, the children of God are now killing each other. And, the, and it went downhill from there. Finally, another nation comes in, captures them all, takes them out as slaves with rings in their nose, and takes them to another culture where the whole culture is pagan. And they're taken out of their land that God had led them into, and they lose everything. And then God restores them. And then they walk away from God again. They lose him as their king. And the Romans come in, and it's horrible. You live in the land. It's, it's the land that God gave your fathers, but now you have to buy the wood, and you have, to, you have to pay for the water to drink the water because someone else says, it's mine. And they're pagans. And it's horrible. And people hate it. And they start crying out to God. And they say, we, we hate being ruled by these pagans. <clears throat> it's not what we're used to. It's not what we've tasted. It's not what we like. <clears throat> so what they end up doing is they cry out to God. And they say, we want you to be king again. And through a series of prophecies, God begins to promise that I will come and be your king again. Only I'm going to come through the line of David. I'm going to come as David. And he started describing him coming to rule and reign again. Can you imagine the relief? People saying, wouldn't it be, it's going to be so good to have God come back again as our king. Back when things were prosperous. and Back when we won every battle. Instead of we've just lost every battle. We're paying tribute. Before everyone, when God was king, everybody paid tribute to us. We grew, we expanded, we prospered. Everything was wonderful when God was king, and then we've lost it. So God started prophesying that he was going to come back as king. And he did. But it was so different when they were ex anything they were expecting. They thought somehow Messiah would come back, kick the Romans out, restore the economy, get rid of the pagans, have their own government based on the word of God. They just wanted to get back to having the word of God as the, the measuring stick for what they were doing. That's what they wanted. That's what they longed for. And can you imagine how electric it would be when John the Baptist comes and says, and they haven't heard a prophet in 400 years. When you think of America being like half that, 250 years old, and, and no prophecy. And all of a sudden, this young guy starts prophesying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. It's here. It's attainable. It's available. It must have been electric. It must have been awesome. It's too good to be true. We've always had it out in, there, out in the future somewhere. But he's saying, he's saying the kingdom, God's going to come back to be in charge. God's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign. And all they knew was that pocket of peace, that pocket of light, a, a bubble of light in a sea of darkness. That's all they knew is the kingdom of God. They said, we want that. And God said, not only that, I'm coming back, but it's not just my borders aren't going to be just Israel. 
it's going to include the Gentiles. My kingdom is going to be from ocean to ocean, sea to sea. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, he, he prophesied his rule coming back in ways that were just glorious, amazing. Every prophet, it seemed like, ended by saying, here's, here's my promise for the kingdom of God that's coming. So Jesus comes, and the question of the Pharisees, they gather around him, they say, tell us when the kingdom of God is coming. You keep talking about it. When, when are we going to see it? Who's going to kick out these pagans? When are we going to get our own rule back, our own government, our own law? And Jesus said, it's not like you think. It's not with observation. It's not like you could point to boundaries in, in a wall, in a geographic area. It's not like that. The kingdom of God is going to be in you. So even today, when we talk about the kingdom of God, you can't point to a place or building or denomination. The church is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in the hearts of anybody who lets God be in charge. So a, 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 a traveler comes through and stops into Amity for coffee and he meets someone who lets the kingdom of God rule and reign through them, and they get, a, <clears throat> they get a quality cup of coffee for a fair price, with, served with, with hospitality and served with, with a, a different spirit. And they're not looking to get, they're looking to serve and to give. And, and they say, what is this? Why is this cafe so different? When I go to Starbucks, it feels so different than this cafe. This cafe seems bright. Well, why is it right? Because the kingdom of God is within people who work there. So they need someone, someone's used to being gouged by every realtor in town. Then he meets Austin. He says, man, this is different. These guys shine. There's just something about them. And, and, and it's integrity and it's serving and it's diligence. It's, it's keeping your word. It's all out of honoring the king because you know the king is looking and you want his blessing so when you rent a place and you, you're used to renting places and just regretting it, and then you find linger, and then you find, you get, you get, up, you get up in the Oak Hill and you say, the kingdom of God is among us. I mean, it, it's just different. You run into a, a scientist at a lab and he's different than all the other scientists because he's just met John Bonnestall. And he's, I mean, it's just a wedding photographer. You say, what's so different about this, this guy? I mean, this, there's some, I've, I've heard stories about you where you guys walk into the gym and everyone's head turns and say, what? is it with these young people? They shine. Well, what that is, is they're getting a manifestation of where God's in charge, where God has some say, where God can rule and reign, and his word, his laws dictate our behavior. It changes. So the kingdom of God is not New York. It's not Penyam, believe it or not. It's not Yates County. It's not anything like that. What it is, it's in individual hearts all through Every sector and every part of government, every part of business, and every <clears throat> they come to your home and they see your home has order and your children shine and your children have respect for each other and respect for them and your children are diligent and want to please and want to serve and want to bring out their best. It's, and you stop and say, this is so delicious to my soul. This is so different than anything I've ever seen before. What is different here? And, and, and when you ask, all they can say is, all I know is, is Jesus is real to me. 
and I want to please him with all my being. And that's saying, without saying, that's saying the kingdom of God is at work within me, and it changes how I think and how I feel and changes every transaction. It changes, changes my mouth, my motives, my money, my marriage. It changes everything. And the kingdom of God is glorified by the people who let him have his way. <clears throat> let him be in charge. The church is not the kingdom of God, but there are churches that congregate a larger number of people who say we want to honor the king now and forever. We want the king to be in charge now and forever. The kingdom is the king having dominion. The kingdom being Lord. I don't want to bore you with this, and please, this may sound tedious. But the word king, we get that. Dom, D-O-M. The Romans used dom. They used that often to mean lord and to be in, in, in uh, dominion. And so if you went to someone's house, you'd say, who's the dom of the house? In English, they'd say, who's, who's the madam of the house? Or if you go to a business, you'd say, who's the dom? Who's the master or lord here? And they'd go and get the guy who's in charge. And they'd say, he's the dom of the house. In, in Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish, it was D-O-N, Don. So they, you heard Don Quixote. And you'd hear about uh, the Italians, Don Corleone. The, who's the don of the family? Who's in charge of the family? Well, Don Corleone, the godfather, he's in charge of the family. He's the don. They'd say, go find out what the don wants. Because that's the person who's in charge. When I saw that for the first time, I realized <clears throat> the kingdom is letting God be in charge of all the various parts of my life. And he could be in part, he can be in charge of one part of my life, my money, but I don't give him control over another part of my life and certain motives or my marriage or in some other part of my life. And he wants, he wants to have access to everything, but he'll never grab you by the scruff of your neck and say, let me be in charge. Why don't you let me do it? Why did you have to make that mistake? You shouldn't have done that. You should have let me. He'll never do that because he's the, the meekest king you can ever imagine. That's, that's why they didn't recognize him. He just operated so different. He doesn't force his kingdom. He says, you have to want my kingdom. You have to invite my kingdom. He's the king that stands at the door and knocks, and if any man opens, he'll come in and sup with them. But he'll never kick the door down. He'll never come at you and say, you don't pray enough. He'll never do that because that's not, that's not his name. But anybody who opens a door, you know, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, well, here's how you pray. You say, Father. That's new. That's new language, Father, who art in heaven. We want your kingdom that's in heaven to come into our circumstance. And you pray this day by day. Not one prayer is a blanket that covers all. So you say, Lord, I'm struggling with this business, with this client. I'm struggling with uh, disciplining my kids or teaching my kids. And so you say, King, I can't do it. Jesus, come and do it in me. Do it through me. Do it in my circumstance. And, and he comes. And he, all of a sudden, things make sense. 
Things clear up. Things go better. Things start to work because the king is in charge. The king is present. His hand moves. He, he has his way. And all of a sudden, you look back and say, you know, I'm so glad I prayed because that just changed everything. Well, what you've done is you've invited the king to come. You have a conflict with someone. It's not going, you can't make it right. Seems like the more you try to make it right, the worse it gets. You say, King Jesus, come. Come into my circumstance. I've made a mess here. I don't know how to get out of it. Would you solve this for me? Would you show me what to do? Would you make my enemy at peace with me? Would you help me resolve this? And the king comes, and he starts working all the angles and all the corners. And next thing you know, you, you look and you say, that thing just changed. That thing got better. That was a mess. And I invited the king, and he came. That's what the kingdom is. So that's why Jesus said, in Luke, Luke chapter 4, if you go back 10, 10 chapters, Luke chapter 6, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, how do you say, how, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's like him saying, why do you say Dom, Dom, or Don, Don, but you, you, don't, you don't do what I tell you to do? He said, That's, it's impossible. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you say, Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things which I say. If he's really Lord, if he has dominion, then you'll do what he says. If you want to do your own thing, he'll let you. He won't force his dominion on anybody. But it, there's no one who can say, Jesus is Lord, he's the king of my life, but then just go off and do their own thing and have their own way and decide for themselves and don't pray about it, don't include them, or maybe a superficial kind of nice little tidy prayer that says, Lord, I, I want you to bless my plans. But... If he's Lord, what you do is you let him have his say. Let him have his way. Let him decide. Let him fight your battles. Let him give you the strategies. And then you can say, he is my Lord because I take all my dictates from him. I, I come to him and I say, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. That's in heaven. I want it to come into my circumstance on the earth. And he says, in this area today, I'm Lord. And I'll, I'll deal with that area of your life. But there's all these different areas. And it's not a one prayer that fits all. You come back the next day and you say, Lord, I need you to be, I, I want you to rule and reign. Show me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me who to marry. Tell me where to, what, where to get my job. Tell me where to go to college or not. Tell me which kind of car to buy. And I've, I've seen them make cars shine, stand out of all the cars on the lot because I couldn't afford to make a mistake. And I said, I need you to be my king. I need you to decide. You choose the car for me. And I had an experience one time where that one car just seemed to shine. Turned out to be the best car. Best car I could have bought. Because I just invited the king to come 
into that circumstance. So your prayer life changes dramatically because it's all about letting him <clears throat> rule and reign or be in dominion. It's a wonderful way to live. I want him to be the Lord of this church. I want him to be the king of this church. And it's possible. Lots of pastors have their own way and decide how things are going to be. And they, they don't submit to him or they pray a nice token prayer. But in, in reality, they're, much in, they're fully in charge. And God says, I'll let you. I'll let you. He's so meek. He just let you. But once you've seen how he, when he was fully in charge of a nation, huh, it was the greatest nation on earth, nothing compared, nothing as bright, nothing as sweet, nothing as beautiful, nothing as clean, nothing as organized, as I have prosperous as the kingdom of God when it was on earth through, through a man who let him rule and reign. That became such a high watermark that the prophets would prophesy that the king is coming again and he's going to come out of the root of David and he's going to rule like David. And everyone expected. In fact, they called out to him and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. They expected him to function like David. No one functioned like David. Because David would go out on his roof at night and he'd say, You and I both know who's really king here and it's not me. Have your way. Show me how to, how to deal with this. Show me which battle to fight. Show me how to win this thing. Show me how to lead the people. Show me how to have judgment. Show me how to make good decisions. And God was so pleased because this guy was inviting him. He just came through everything. And silver was so abundant, it was like gravel under the reins of David and Solomon. It was just so common. They, he just prospered them at every level. I want that for you. I want that for your business. I want that for your home. I want that for your health. I want that for us as a people here. And the only way I know to do it is to invite the king to come. And he says, my kingdom doesn't come with observation in terms of property, in terms of land and buildings and boundaries. It comes in hearts. Any heart that'll let him, he'll come. That's my understanding of the kingdom of God. And it started with Marco Polo. It started with National Geographic. Isn't that a stretch that any good thing can come out of National Geographic? But I could see what it was like for the children of Israel. And I want that for my home. I want that for us. And then things get very exciting when the king comes. Amen? Let's stand together. <clears throat> Excuse me for my sticky throat here. <clears throat> I know enough of you well enough that this message doesn't change how you live, it's how you've been living. But I was hoping that the simplicity of it, the vision of, of, of a pocket of peace and glory and decency and order would so appeal to you that you'd say, Lord, I give you my life. I want you to have your way in me. I want you to choose for me who to marry. I want you to choose for me what my life work will be that would honor you. I have conflicts in my marriage, conflicts in my relationships. I, I need you to come. I'm inviting you to come into my now.
change it. Bring heaven. Bring heaven with you. I want you to rule and reign now and forever. Good news is if your body's hurting, part of the kingdom of God is he has a health plan that's out of this world and he wants to come and touch you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore your health. Ask him. Ask him. Jesus, be the Lord of our hearts. Be the king of our hearts. Sit down in us. Rule. Reign. Have your way. In Jesus' name. And if you want prayer this morning, I'd be glad to pray for you. Believe in God with you. He'll do whatever you're asking for. If you need prayer, I'll be glad to pray. We're going to have a meeting again at uh, 5 o'clock tonight. And uh, go back to worship again. So, amen.